and it gets we, lost in the day to day. People forget the why. And and we need to remind remind people of that. And I think that's that's on executive leadership and that needs to flow from the top down. Um, you know, someone, whether it's Steve Jobs at, at Apple back at that time or or other companies that needs to be set at the top and then flow down to the management team. So then it gets to Jim to say, hey, this is what we do here and why it's important. No, no, by the way, if you run into him in the elevator, you know, be prepared to, to answer that. Yeah, it starts with it starts with leadership. Um, and for, you know, for a good chunk of companies. I don't know that they know that. So it may be hard to answer. Even as a leadership team, oftentimes the purpose, and we've talked about this, is, well, our purpose is to create more profit. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So I was out here this morning um, having a one-on-one with John and we were kind of talking about how awesome it is. And w- w- with him, like I, I never know, I always start out our calls are, where, where are you at? <laughs> so he's, he's back in Bangkok right now. Um, but I'm just like, you know, the, the weather is finally starting to turn nice. It's spring and we get so caught up with just routine, you know, that it's like, we have all of this freedom and flexibility to work wherever I'm like, you know what? I'm going to work from the deck today. You know, you don't, I don't always have to go to some location. It's just somewhere different in your house or somewhere, you know, like it doesn't need to be uh, exotic um, just to kind of shake it up a bit. So hopefully this works, but uh, I made it a point to take the laptop outside today and nice. try to do everything from, from out back. That's awesome. Yeah, so, like the, the minute I saw the video pop up. So for those that are listening to to audio only, Jason is recording this from his back porch. So yeah. I see, you know, a bit of a mountain in the background there. It's yeah. a nice sunny day. It is super you know, there's sunny. The trees. It's nice. Got the mountains. We got the pine trees. It's 56 degrees. Feels amazing. Yeah. So. So, yeah, let, let, let's do it got to take advantage of this and i know you i know you built your little your outdoor space so you can work and you did some calls from there last year and it's just nice you know it's nice to kind of break it up every once in a while and and sit in a different location and we can do that you know yeah the 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 spring's been a little chilly so i haven't gotten out there yet but i've got it ready so as soon as as soon as it gets a little bit warmer i'm i'm gonna be outside yeah it's been chilly here too and that's why i want to take advantage of it it's like it seems like there's a limited few months where you can really enjoy working from outside and it's finally there. Uh, I planted a basil plant on Sunday and it snowed on Monday. <laughs> so, oh, but it, it, it all melted off by noon. You know, it's just like one of those things where it got cold enough overnight where the rain turned to snow, but it's like, but now it's nice. I think it's supposed to get to like 65 today, which is good. I like, I like that temperature range. Nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, because last night we were talking about joining uh, the local pool for for the summer. Ah. So, you know, we have uh, a place to take a little one, or at least Suzanne does while I'm working. But I'm like, I was debating with myself. I'm like, maybe I could take the iPad there. Like, cut out like around noon on 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 a Thursday or Friday. Yeah, because you... the iPad and just take some notes while I'm over there and then go swimming. Yeah, because you invested in like a specific setup to be mobile, right? I do. Yeah. So I've got the laptop. So I've got the 15 inch MacBook Pro. So I've got that. And then I've got the really big screen here. So I've got a nice desktop setup. Um, just ran a, an Ethernet cord last week because just the Wi-Fi gets shoddy sometimes. Yeah. Um, just so I can make sure I know I'm, I'm hardwired in, especially when recording yeah. um, or doing like video presentations. Um, but I also invested in an iPad Air fourth generation last spring. Mm. So I've got that and everything is synced up. So like anything, like I've got Dropbox synced up to it. I've got iCloud Drive. So anything that I'm working on pretty much anywhere on my local machine or like anywhere on my, my actual laptop is going to be available to the iPad. Um, so... And I'm finding a lot of the things I can I, I need to do, I could do with the iPad. Mm. Now, I mean, like the laptop, I mean, like the laptop, you're just faster, though. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Like with the virtual keyboard on an iPad, it's definitely slow. Certain kinds of things, um, like working in Excel, I do a lot of my requirements design in Excel. Yeah. Just because I know I can format it the way I want it. It's a little bit slower. Now, I am tempted to spend money on the apple magic keyboard for the ipad mm. because then it turns it into a hybrid laptop and tablet yeah so then i do i can take just the ipad and have the the keyboard with it and the way it does is it it, it magnetically connects to it and there's the the connection on the back of the ipad where it's not even bluetooth the, mm. it, it syncs automatically it knows the keyboard the trackpad are there so you know, I could take that. So like anything that I manage my work in, um, like I said, either like documents and Dropbox, iCloud are there, Notion, um, uh, Evernote, uh, Trello, all of those things have apps for the iPad so I can work there. So the keyboard I'm debating may help make it faster, but like, yeah. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's a good or a bad thing. And maybe it's nicer to have the keyboard, but I'm I'm wondering if that setup forcing you to slow down a little bit is actually a good thing. Maybe. It's a good point. That's why I haven't jumped at it yet, because one of the things I do like about having the iPad and walking away from the desk is to your point of like being tethered into an office all day, being stuck at a desk all day, you know, you 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 start to lose that creative juice Yeah, having the iPad and just having a different way of working kind of helps freshen it up, especially like it's this big. I, yeah. I can grab this. I've got a nice little stand here and grab this and, and go outside and, and work from it. And again, everything sinks in real time. Yeah. So the minute I save something here, it goes there. Like I've done podcast planning from this, um, just sitting there specking out notes uh, for several upcoming episodes at one time and I have it. So the reason is, is like where it's speeding up is where I can do things, not necessarily trying to rush through it. Cause I know what you're trying to say, like slowing down and thinking through it. Yeah. It's the, 
what I can do with one or two keystrokes or mm. a, a, a single tap on the trackpad. Yeah. It takes like six taps on the Got iPad it. using the yeah. native keyboard. That's where I'm like, it would be nice to have the compact feature because I actually do like pairing the larger laptop, the 15 inch screen with the iPad mm-hmm. because I have the larger screen when say, um, I'm traveling and I'm in a hotel and God, I haven't done this in two and a half years, but like in the past with this, like having this, you go back to the hotel at night and I can work and I have the larger screen to work. But if I just want to get away from the desk, I have something that is a pound and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And I've even found myself because one of the accessories I did buy for it is the magic pencil. I mean, Mm. don't get me wrong. It's expensive. I love it. Because what, 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 what does it give you? So it's a stylus. It <laughs> is definitely a stylus. But again, it's for me keeping things fresh, finding new ways to to work. And it's not necessarily the work itself. It's finding the way to work. So changing yeah. things up with this, having something in my hand, because I'll be blunt. Like when I was in college, I was a smoker. And I will say 20 some years later, there's still some bad habits that stuck. And it's. <laughs> Having, having something hand busy. Yeah. Having <laughs> like, I honestly do. I think like when I, I, I quit when I was in my mid twenties and that was the one thing I, I, I always noticed was it was something to keep my hands busy. Mm-hmm. That was actually, aside from the nicotine addiction, it was, it was that the fidgety mm-hmm. hands. So the part of it is, is just like what I'm doing right now, just kind of twirling it, but it does, it does help cut down on some of the taps. So, not going to lie, it is an expensive stylus, but there's some great writing features, which I'm still trying to teach myself how to use. Mm. So there are quick gestures using this that'll turn like almost like shorthand writing into text. Still kind of working through that. My niece, she, she's got this like innate artistic ability whenever she sees. So when when I got this, my wife got one too. And we took our tax return money at the beginning of last year because at the time, like I was kind of frustrated. I want some, I wanted again, a new way to work. That's the way yeah. I'm thinking of it. And I kept talking. I was like, what if I got an iPad? And then with our tax returns, we both got, we both got one and we spent the money on, on the magic pencil. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get that. And um, so whenever I have it or my niece has it around, she grabs it and starts drawing and I will mm. say, for someone with artistic capabilities, it awesome. actually is a phenomenal tool to draw with. Mm. That's awesome. And there's some really neat features. So, like, you you could t- uh, like what, what kind of like is it a pencil? Is it a marker? Is it a highlighter? Like the different types of like writing instrument tips. You can yeah. switch back and forth, and you can program it so you can tap it, and it'll automatically switch across like a couple different favorites. Very cool. So, like, I'm debating, it. you know, once the pool opens, maybe taking this over to the pool. So then I'm there. Yeah. Um, you know, do you know, you save like a Thursday afternoon or Friday afternoon for like that period you were talking about, where like the slowing down and notes and brainstorming and just trying to get out of the routine to come up with new ideas. Saving that time for a Thursday, Friday afternoon, go to the pool, bring this with me jot down some ideas and then go jump in the pool. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, we gotta we gotta take advantage of these opportunities, you know. Um, as we as we started off the show, uh, we we we've created we've created kind of a different way of doing things, um, and so being able to celebrate and enjoy these these opportunities, I think, is what it's it's all about. Yeah, and, and a completely unrelated story, but as I mentioned, I was talking to John this morning, and him and him and I were joking around on LinkedIn the other day, where I was. Um, talking about some of my thoughts around how we handle uh, time off for people entering the company. Mm -hmm. um, and he said something like, uh, is this policy retroactive asking for a friend? <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I responded something like, dude, you're, you're already in, you can take the time off you want to take off anyway. So it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess one of, one of his friends in, in Southeast Asia messaged him. He's like, dude, it's so cool that you can joke around with your boss on LinkedIn like that. That must be an amazing culture you work in. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it is, we have, we have fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you got to, like, yeah. you, you got to just sometimes like you, you got to know when to be serious, but you also got to know when to just chill the F out and have fun, man. I couldn't agree more couldn't because agree you, more. you're going to drive yourself nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long game. It's mm -hmm. a long game, but you know, it's, it's rare for people to play the long game. Um, and we've talked about this on other episodes, especially if you're a publicly traded company, everything has to be about right now. We have to get there right now. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's, it's so refreshing and calming to be like, nah, we don't, we don't need to get there right now. We can take our sweet ass time and, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the journey. Um, so that's, that's, yeah. little, that's how we see it at least. Yeah. And, and all of this does tie in nicely for, uh, with my topic for today. Um, Good. So like just talking about like the ways of doing work and being productive and trying to get those creative juices flowing so that you're actually like, you're just not pounding away on a keyboard that you're just not writing something up. It's actually something of value. Um, you know, th there's, there's that idea, but then um, just, just enjoying what, what, what you do and enjoying the journey um, long-term versus short-term all of this comes together where I want to continue our conversation around data activation. So last week we, we introduced the topic and we talked at it from a mostly conceptual level. What is data activation? What do people mean? When is it hype? When is it real? Um, you laid out three great pillars for data activation, you know, starting with just dashboards are people actually consuming the data down to then insights where you're not just reporting on what happened, but that you're actually learning you know, about visitor behavior on a site or um, customer behavior um, all the way down to on the web side of things, actually using the data in real time uh, to drive optimization and personalization. So we mm -hmm. talked about the, those pillars. So what I want to talk about today, digging into it a bit is, is, you know, for someone that is looking at data activation, how do they know if they have the right foundation to, for data activation? And I will say in this point, at, at this point, I want to focus on that third pillar. And granted, those two others are going to come into this conversation, but really that third piece of when, when people talk about data activation, what they're really referring to is, is real-time optimization and personalization based on knowing what's going on. 
So if someone were to come to you and say, what do I need to do to make sure I have the right foundation to activate data? What would you tell them? So I think a big part of it is in the the questions that that we ask, and and a lot of times, it, it's not that the questions are are wrong, but to get to that ultimate point, we have to shift where our focus is. And what I mean by that is, oftentimes when companies first establish an analytics practice, it's all about what can the data do for me. You know, how can we use the data to, and, and again, this 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 may not be a bad thing. I, I mean, there certainly are examples where 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 people use data to be selfish, right? Like, well, I want to deploy this so I can use this data to get a promotion or get a bonus. That 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 happens. Um, but more often it's it's around, and again, these aren't bad things, but it's around how can we, you know, maximize our spend, how can we be more efficient in our marketing efforts. All, all good things to have, but ultimately, if we're going to unlock um, the true value of data from from my perspective, which oh by the way accomplishes all those other things that I just mentioned, it's just we flip the perspective and conversation to our customers, and we start asking the question: What experience do we want our customers to be having with our brand when our customers purchase from us, when they consume content, when they book a hotel room with us? What experience do we want them to be having? And when we shift that perspective, it starts to change a lot of the data that we think about capturing and prioritizing. Um, and it becomes oftentimes less uh, operational around managing health-specific metrics, which again, I think are important. But those things come as, as a default when you start thinking about what data points do I need so that I can create a really positive experience for Jim when he comes to the website to buy a product. So you were talking about the, the experience that the customer has, has on a website. Um, and I, we've definitely covered this before. Um, you know, we, we, we've gone into engagements where we ask the very basic questions of why does your company have a website? Mm -hmm. What do, what, what do customers do on there? Um, yeah, yeah. I think you know where I'm going with this question. I don't know if you're going down this path or not, but what what you're reminding me of is that that sometimes the investment isn't even in technology or data that we're collecting. Sometimes the investment is in making sure that our team that is responsible for defining our data strategies, for defining our personalization tactics. Um, that they understand what we do as a business. It, it's the number one thing when I first got into doing this that was such a shock to me was talking to these people and asking them that very foundational question. What, what does your website do? Why does your company exist? And the number of like shoulder shrugs and, you know, lost faces of, I, I, I don't know, <laughs> it just was shocking to me that 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 that, that was happening but it, it's it's a very real reality that that the people that are in these positions to influence the data that we capture and the experiences that we have on websites fundamentally don't understand what the business stands for and why they do what they do and what they sell i mean sure they may know at a top level like you know we sell insurance or we sell electronics products or we sell hotel rooms but 
the layer down of, yeah, but so what? You know, how are you different than anyone else? And why do you do this? They simply don't know. So if you don't, if you don't understand those fundamentals, it's really, really difficult to define a data strategy and a, and a personalization plan um, in order to help highlight the experience that you want to create. So as much as it's important to see things through the eyes of your customer, you have to start with why the business exists so you can put yourself in that frame of mind of what, you know, going back to my question, what experience do we want Jim to have when he comes to our website to book a hotel room? How can I answer that if I don't know why we exist as a company? Mm -hmm. So I was going down a very similar path and I, I you know, I, I want to, I thought of how to, how to word it properly, but I think you gave me a great intro there. So I do have a similar question, but before we move on to that, you know, talking about the, you know, the teams, analysts, um, those running optimization programs, not understanding what the point of the online experience is or what the company is trying to experience. Um, create with that online experience whose fault is that is it the employees or is it the companies or is it both and i'm leading you a little bit but that's fine because <laughs> i <laughs> and and by company do we want to break that down to somebody that can be uh held accountable because company's kind of nebulous so yeah uh we could like i thought we could start broad because yeah, I'm actually I'm not gonna say anything more because I, I don't want to lead you any further. Well, I mean, I I, I it, <laughs> I'm not sure. Let, let me put it that way because I think that um, I, I think that there are probably multiple ways to to look at it. So from from the analyst side, let's take it from the analyst or the implementer side. Um, I'm I'm of the belief that if you if you and if I'm not answering your question, I'm going and I'm going off track. Let me know. But I'm I'm of the belief that if you care about your job and what your role is, it should naturally come to you to have that interest of learning more. Um, and so I think in part, it, there there needs to be some kind of onus on the employee side. Now you may argue that and say, well, you know, if you work for a shitty company or you have a bad boss or the, the, the company you work for has a bad culture, you know, then what, what can you expect? But, but ultimately I'm going to go back, especially for analysts, we should be like very curious people that as, as an employee, I should be uber curious about what it is that, that I'm doing. And, and again, that doesn't seem to happen a lot. And if you have a different experience, please, please challenge me on it. But, you know, we see it so often and it's not just, it's not just the broader question of why does the company exist? It could be more, more targeted saying, well, uh, implementer or front end developer, why are you capturing this? I don't know. Someone told me to capture it. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, did you, did you not stop to ask why, or were you not curious about why you're capturing? Yeah, I don't know. Not really. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree with like that. Th there, there needs to be tremendous onus on the analysts, the, the, the optimization lead others in the company to want to know why the company exists and not just some plain mission statement. Right. Um, like, what are we trying to do? Okay. We're selling widget X, but why are we selling widget X? Um, 
you know, you and I've referenced it all the time. The sign, uh, the Simon Sinek, uh, Ted talk, mm-hmm. you know, re- referencing the iPad, which, you know, rest in peace, iPad, Apple discontinued the final version. Of the, no, uh, I, not I, that, but iPod, iPod, iPod. Sorry. Yeah. yeah the iPod. Sorry. I, I have iPad on the tip of my head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rest in peace, iPod. Yeah. Uh, they, they discontinued the iPod touch yesterday, which was yeah. the last, the last model. But the video goes back to like the, the old school click wheel iPod. And, you know, he, he talks about like, you know, while every other music player out there was talking about like, we have, you know, such and such gigabytes and, you know, like uh, these kind of features, this screen size, Apple is saying, why do you want this? So you can carry all of your music with you at all times. Right. You can have your music with you whenever you want um, kind of thing. And I'm, I'm way, way, way over summarizing it, but it's, it's the same thing. It's not just saying, Hey, we sell electronics. It's the, we, we sell them because, or we just don't build cars. We build them because, and, and there's that, but then I do think there is a level of responsibility on the company to talk about why, why we do it. And everybody in the company, um, because I, 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 is, I have seen people get their hands slapped when, you know, it's the, Hey, why are we doing this? Don't ask why. I just need you to do it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but so at the same time, it's the challenging employees to ask why. You know, why don't you know we do this? No, uh, I oh, mean, yeah, go ahead. Did, did I ever tell you the story? Because I, I spent about a year, year and a half working for Apple. Did I ever tell you about the whole thing, like what managers would warn their employees before going out to Cupertino? I, does, I don't recall that happening. So, I mean, I worked... Like I was kind of like this thing that straddled two different organizations. Like I was a small business relationship manager slash salesperson. Um, I worked with people in Cupertino on the business sales side of things. So they tried this role because at the time, and especially even now, if you were a small company, like a graphic design shop with five people, if you called up like 1-800-APPLE, the, 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 the business person there is not going to give you the time of day because they're trying to sell 10,000 units to a, to, to a, to a major, you know, enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, or enterprise organization. So they, they wanted something that had connections to that, but worked out of the retail stores. So like my home base was one of the retail stores. Um, and I remember being in there one day and two, two, two people who work behind the Genius Bar were getting sent out to, to Cupertino for some training on some new products that were, were coming out. And I was there at my desk doing my work. And the, the store manager, I could hear on my shoulder, kind of pulled him aside and said, before you leave next week, you are to come talk to me. And the one thing I want you to answer in three sentences or less, what do you do here and why are you valuable? And they're kind of looking and she goes, haven't you ever heard? And I'm, I even turned around at that point. I'm like, well, what's going on? And there was this, always this urban legend around, um, you know, Apple employees. Like if you're ever on campus, like watch out for Steve jobs because hmm. like he's there all the time. And like, if you ever got caught in an elevator, got caught in a line with him somewhere, he's going to ask you, what do you do here? And why is it valuable? And if you could not answer clearly and concisely, you like he would find out who your boss was and who your boss's boss was and would ream them out. Like, why is this person? Why is this person on our payroll? And they don't know why they're here 
and what value they bring to us and our customers. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? And she goes, yeah, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it, it's a kind thing. of an urban legend, but it's true. She was mm -hmm. like, it is absolutely true. She actually, one of her colleagues that happened to, to her, uh, the, one of her colleagues got that phone call, like from her boss's boss saying like, why does this person not know why they're here? And I, that, that has always stuck with me. Like, yeah, yeah you need to be able to concisely answer why you do what you do. Yeah, so so a couple things on that. One completely unrelated, but I got into a little bit of a debate on LinkedIn the other day about remote work and and someone said something like, "Well, if you're if you're choosing to re do remote work, you're basically admitting that uh you're 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 worthless to the company. You you really have no value. Like they may give you some little job, but if you're working remote, you're you're not valuable." And I and I stopped to think I'm like why are you hiring people that have no value to the company? So that when you said that, it reminded me of that. It's like, maybe we should be asking ourselves that more often. Like, why are we hiring people if they're not creating value for the company? Um, and it gets we, lost in the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. People forget the why. And and we need to remind remind people of that. And I think that's, that's on executive leadership. And that needs to flow from the top down. Um, you know, someone, whether it's Steve Jobs at, at Apple back at that time or or other companies that needs to be set at the top and then flow down to the management team. So then it gets to Jim to say, hey, this is what we do here and why it's important. No, no, by the way, if you run into him in the elevator, you know, be prepared to, to answer that. Yeah, it starts with it starts with leadership. Um, and for, you know, for a good chunk of companies. I don't know that they know that. So it may be hard to answer. Even as a leadership team, oftentimes the purpose, and we've talked about this, is, well, our purpose is to create more profit. And in fact, you know, there's a a very real economic theory, and I can't remember the guy's name that published the theory on it, but there's a very widely held belief that companies only exist to create more profits. And if they're not creating more profits, then they're failing. And, and you know, when when that is your purpose... Jim doesn't care. Like to go back to the uh, line in office space, which is now what, 20 something years old, but still. And it was incredibly prophetic. Still more true than ever, maybe even more so. Like if Inatech ships a, four, a few more units, I don't see another dime. Like you don't care. Like if, if our purpose is profit, is there any wonder why our employees have no idea what they do there and why they're valuable? No, the only value they have is to make the company more money and employees don't care because they're not getting rewarded for that. There's nothing special about that to the employees. So I think that's a huge problem. And um, it leads to some, some very bad, bad experiences. And we're seeing it right now. We're seeing, you know, whether you want to call it the great resignation or migration or whatever you want to call it, that's because of this, because so many employees have been in these um, environments in which their purpose was creating more profit than we created the year before. And for an employee, for most employees, that creates very bad experiences. And and people are at a point now and the pandemic really was a wake up call. It's like, really? Like, we're going to devote all of our happiness in life to something that really like we, we're not behind the purpose. No, I'm going to go look for something more meaningful in my life. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing that start to play out, but even still, even with this great, you know, migration of employees um, to different companies, you still have 
a very sizable chunk of executive leadership that buys into this belief that people are widgets, they're part of this machine, and our shared goal is to make this company more profits. And it it's simply starting to break down now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so to kind of bring it back to how this all lines up with what we're, what we're talking about today, because, you know, at the title of this episode, I can imagine people are saying, Oh, okay. I need to make sure I have this kind of thing on my site. I need to have this tool in place. I need to have mm-hmm. this kind of configuration. Everything we've talked about for the last 20 minutes is the most important piece of any kind of data activation foundation is understanding why the company's in business why they have an online experience and why customers want to buy from them. I, I mean, that's it. It's, I mean, the, the underlying pieces of how we make that work are critically important, but they shouldn't be driving the conversation because when they do, the conversation often goes off the rails. And again, if, just follow me on LinkedIn. I, I like to talk about this stuff all the time. So uh, if you like these topics, you can, you can uh, chat with me on LinkedIn because I post about it all the time. I think it was last week I posted about this topic where there's so many conversations happening in the data activation space specific to optimization around, well, we need this tool that's fully integrated with our data lake and we're going to do these advanced modeling statistics on top of it. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, but, but why are we doing that? And uh, and our good friend Randy jumped in and said, you know, really, it should just be about, you know, making it easier for people to find what, what we sell so they can give us their money. You know, and, and it's, it's, he's right. You know, like we get so carried away with the operational details and the technologies and the software. And again, I think those things are critically important, but we've got it backwards. Those things should come in and align with our vision for what we're trying to do rather than the other way around, which is happening so often. And so while these companies get bogged down with trying to come up with these overly elaborate martech setups and then they get that in place quote unquote um because oftentimes they're poorly put in place but let's say they get it in place then they get bogged down with trying to come up with these overly complicated tests to run when in theory this is not that complicated now making it happen getting all the pieces there is incredibly complicated but the question we're trying to answer is a very simple question and that question is what do we sell and how can we make it easier to get the right products in front of our the customers where those products align the best? That's really what we're trying to do. And, and unfortunately, we overcomplicate that in our kind of over exuberance to do cool things, you know, but which ultimately don't really solve much. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to try to get me to go on my rant about bureaucracy, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm always open to getting into rant. So. <laughs> uh, because the when you're talking there, it's almost as if it, it, it helps further my point that the only reason for bureaucracy is to maintain and grow itself. Mm-hmm. Whether, you know, no matter where you're looking at it, but but especially with corporate bureaucracy. You know, I, 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 you know, the, the TPS reports, mm-hmm. so let's make another office space reference, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the TPS reports, um, and just had another, another thing to, to fill out, but, uh, there, there's somebody or even an entire team's job depends upon people filling out their TPS reports. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and and we see that even within the analytics space, we see the over operationalizing of of what it is. Now, don't take that to say that having structure and being deliberate about how we run our organizations is wrong. No, we're we're absolutely all for that. The problem we have is where your product becomes the operational details of of what you do. And and oftentimes in my mind, it's about that's about control. It's about control. Well, it's about control and it's about coming up with things, going back to some of our previous conversations, giving people the opportunity to give the uh, optics of doing work, you know, like, well, what did you do today? Well, I closed 15 jury tickets. Uh, okay. What does that mean? Like you actually did the work? No, I mean, I didn't do the work. Like I just physically like clicked the button and said they were closed. It's like, well, why can't the engineer that fixed it close? No, I, I mean, I have people skills. Damn it. Going back mm-hmm. to office space. Um, but, or that just uh, let's create 15 Jira tickets where one will do so yeah. that we can show that things are actually moving. It, and again, I think a lot of these things have to do with the culture of the company going back to putting the conversation in the wrong perspective. It's about what data and metrics and things can we put in place to make it look like we're valuable rather than saying, why can't we look incredibly valuable by asking the question, what is, what is good for our customer? And again, I don't want to keep bringing up office space. What's good for the company. But you know, like if we ask that question, like, what can we do to provide more positive experiences for our customers? All of those other things, the promotion, the recognition, making sure that we're valuable just happen. And sure, we may need to put some structure around how those things are recognized and communicated. But when you put your effort in the right place, then the results that you're ultimately looking for oftentimes just come without you having to force it to happen. Mm -hmm. So beyond the why, once, you know, like if if a prospect or existing client comes to you, and starts to talk about data activation. So once you've cleared up the why, why are we doing this? Why does the site exist? Why does a customer want to buy from us? Um, what's the next key piece to that, that someone should have in place if they want to activate data to drive personalization efforts? For me, it all comes down to having a better understanding of who our customers are. So from a a data specific standpoint, that means whatever data points you need to capture to understand at an aggregate level, who your customers are and what they're doing on your, your site and, and start from where you want them to be and work backwards. So uh, again, if you're, if you're a hotel operator, then we need to start with the booking confirmation. That's ultimately where we want people to get to. If we're a retailer, it's we want them to get to the purchase confirmation. Start there and work backwards and start asking yourself, what data do we need to understand how our customers are, what the experiences of our customers going through that journey? So we understand the why. We understand why our company exists and it's something more than to create a profit. Now we under, need to understand what our customers are telling us. And they're telling us their experience through the data artifacts that they're leaving behind as they book a hotel room with us, buy a computer from us, fill out a lead form from us. And and those are the questions you need to be asking to say, okay, now I think I have a good idea of, of a hypothesis or two that we want to run to see if we can create an even more positive experience. 
And this is where a lot of companies break down um, in that they oftentimes don't see, they have the data, they did all the right things, but then they ignore the data informing how to create a better customer experience with their brand. And what do they end up doing? Just slapping something together. Yeah. I mean, they throw something together and it's usually the the loudest person in the room or it's someone that has a, well, I printed off these best practices from this website that I went to that says that we need to change all of our button colors to cornflower blue and we need to change uh, purchase to buy now. And it's like, why? Well, this other company said it worked for them. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, that's awesome. Do you know how they came up with that? Maybe they have a bunch of data where for their customers that absolutely. It keeps kicking me out. Yeah, you're on a great rant and it doesn't, you know, the interwebs don't want to hear it. Yeah, it keeps kicking me out. Um, I don't I don't know why it keeps saying connection issues. Um, maybe my computer's getting too hot. It is quite warm. Um, one of the joys of trying to record outside. Uh, so back to, back to my point, if I don't get kicked out because it's too controversial here. Um, it's, it, the, these companies are looking at these lists of quote best practices and saying, well, this is going to work for us. And I'm like, well, you don't know where they came up with that. Maybe it's the best practice for them and their brand and their customers, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You've got the data. Use the data. Allow the data to help you define your, your strategy. So once you understand why, like what does my company do? What does it sell? Why are we in business? Then we can start asking questions of the data, either hopefully the data is there, but if not, then that's going to help inform our data strategy. So what questions do we need to ask of the data in order to understand what experiences our customers are having with our, our website or our app or our kiosk or fill in the blank. And from there, we can then start to define a strategy. We can then start to come up with some tests that we can run to see if we can continue to refine uh, that process to ultimately provide a better and better and more positive, enjoyable customer experience, which, oh, by the way, is going to result in more money for us, a promotion for Jim, you know, a write up from our boss that we did something amazing. All that stuff is just going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like how you talk about like, you know, people just like best practices, like, Early in my career, I definitely gravitated toward business speak like that. You know, like um, best, you know, we need best practices. We need to do this. And it's one thing to have kind of like, um, again, like it's, again, not, not calling them best practices, but I, what I found is, is best practices. It's like, it's, it's a cop out mm -hmm. for, for not actually thinking. It's it, it is, you know, there, there's like, like, I, I think of like, I'm actually wiring up a new implementation for a new site. A client is, is deploying. And yes, there are several things that are custom within a web analytics implementation, but are for me, when I wire something up, they're core for me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I can, for any client, I can explain the value of it. Um, that being said, I've tried to strike the term best practices because to your point, it's the, you know, when, when people lean on the idea of best practices so they don't have to think or they don't have to explore or, God forbid, come up with an idea that may not work. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I think there's huge value to having frameworks and reusable things that we mm -hmm. can use, but that shouldn't um, cause you to move forward without asking the question, does it work in this scenario? Does this work for us? And unfortunately, we see that happening so often. I, you can start from that place, but you have to ask the question, 
you know, for our brand, for our business, for this component on the website, for this experience, does this framework work? If so, awesome. We just saved ourselves a bunch of time. But if it doesn't, then mm-hmm. the question is, do we have to do something completely different? Can we tweak this? So by all means, like those things that other companies have used or more general principles, absolutely have them in your toolkit to use, but but don't use it as an excuse to say, okay, that's done. We can move on to the next thing. That's just the starting point. And we need to continually ask the question, but will this work for us in this scenario? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to shade my computer because the one thing that I learned is I can work out here, but my electronics apparently want shade. Yeah. All right. Then uh, we'll start to, to, to wrap it up. Um, little, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting focus. close to our normal, normal time anyway. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like uh, just so uh, we don't go too long and your computer overheats or connection gets lost. Cause I, I that's happened to my phone. The phone yeah. sits in the sun, then it overheats, so it then completely shuts off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to prevent it from like really burning up. Right. Um, so we're going to continue this topic. We're not done with it yet. You know, like the overall broad topic of of data activation. But if if there's, I would just say like one other thing. If there's one other thing that maybe we didn't talk about today that you would tell a client or a prospect that they need to have in place to make sure that they have a solid data foundation or a solid foundation for data activation, what would it be? Well, I think it's, it's, it's having a connected team and, and I won't draw this out, but I think there's three pieces to it. And one of the reasons why data oftentimes struggles to get leverage within companies and they fail to see the value of it is they compartmentalize it. You have the business stakeholder that wants outcomes, hair in my mouth, you have the implementer that's that's getting the data there. Then you have the analyst optimization strategist that's building the thing and they're all disconnected. So I think that's the one thing that we didn't touch on is the importance of all three of those roles working cohesively together for one desired outcome rather than rather than them working piecemeal separately trying to make it work. It it rarely just works that way. You have to be together as a cohesive unit to really drive the maximum value that you're capable of, of doing when you have the right strategy in place. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where I was going to go as, as well. Like, cause I can think of like immediately, like, you know, making sure that like your development team, your product team are all on board with this mm-hmm. because yeah, like you can have the analysts, you could have the optimization team, you could have development, you could have product owners, you could have project teams. But if one of any of them isn't bought in, you're going to run into issues. Oh like, my gosh, we could have a whole we could have a, a whole episode on that. I have so many examples of that happening. Yes. Um, and maybe we might. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I I mean I've seen it where um, you've got developers who are eager and willing to dive into it. They see the value in it, but then product owners that don't agree with the business yeah. owner, That's like right. I've seen it where organizations where the business is separate from product. Mm-hmm. So then the product wow. owners are like, no, uh, we this own is this. not on my roadmap. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. this is not on my roadmap. These yeah. features are on my roadmap. So no, I cannot prioritize this with the development team, even though they want to, to do it. Yeah. Um, 
and that could be everything from making sure that the right data is available, the right tools are deployed, you know, getting into like the, the finer details um, yeah. of it. Yeah. No, it's a great topic and, and very much one that uh, is a struggle for a lot, a lot of people, not just yeah. analysts and, op, you know, optimization folks. Like it's a very real challenge in business. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been fun. Uh, yeah. again, I'm loving the, the, this topic and it's uh, you know it's definitely cool um again for our listeners i was not prepared for jason to be broadcasting outside (laughs) it was a surprise for me as much as everybody else and we'll definitely coordinate the next time we do that but uh, yeah but yeah really cool seeing a a different background there yeah i agree let's do it cool all right then we will go ahead and wrap up there and talk to everyone later see ya see ya Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.